Zechariah 9, verses 9 to 12. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace in the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. To you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Remaining standing, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place with yourself. Open our ears and open our hearts so that in the spoken word and in the written word, we might know your living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I discovered Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books when I was about 14. Here's what another of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, said about the Lord of the Rings when he read them for the first time. This book is like lightning from a clear sky. Here are beauties which pierce like swords or burn like cold iron. Here is a book that will break your heart. And so it was with me. I devoured all three books, forced myself to wait a whole week, and then read them all again. And then I forced myself to wait three weeks, and I read them all again. 
And since then, I've read this trilogy dozens of times. I love so many things about it, but one thing in particular has grown on me as I've matured, and that's the story that Tolkien is weaving about a kingdom. A kingdom that has been waiting for the return of its king for centuries, and a king who will put things right and usher in a new age. It's something of a messianic secret in the books. In the movies, it's declared early on that Aragorn is the long-lost king of Gondor, but in the books, it's a truth that's only known to a few people until near the end of the story, when Aragorn begins healing some of the people who have been injured in the war against Sauron, and the old lore is remembered. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so the rightful king will ever be known. And then the rumors start going around, and the city is stirred at the thought of their king arriving at long last. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? Today is Palm Sunday, the day when we mark Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as the King of Israel. It also marks the beginning of Holy Week. From this point forward, we'll be invited to accompany Jesus on his journey through his last days to the cross and the tomb until we finally get to the wonder of Easter Sunday. There's both joy and sorrow awaiting us this week. But for today, we are invited to take part in a moment that is truly momentous and to look forward in anticipation to another momentous day. I had some fun this week comparing the stories of the triumphal entry in each of the different Gospels. You know those uh, spot the difference pictures where you've got two pictures that almost look the same and then you're told to find like 12 differences between them and you have to take a while to find them all? That's what I, it felt like I was doing this week, looking at the different Gospel stories. And each of them, each of the Gospel writers is telling the story of Jesus with different emphases. And Matthew is no exception. His story of the triumphal entry has one difference in particular that gives us a wonderful window into Matthew's gospel and the identity of Jesus. And it's such a small phrase that you probably didn't even notice it. I had never noticed it. The city was stirred up. The city was stirred up. Jesus has been traveling to Jerusalem from northern Israel along with many other pilgrims who make this same trip every year. Along the way, he's been healing and teaching, and now as he approaches the holy city, the crowds that have been traveling with him are very excited and full of anticipation. Jesus has been to Jerusalem before, but not like this. He's been to the Passover festival before, but never like this. This time, he's deliberately enacting a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. It's a provocative passage for Jesus to have chosen to enact. Zechariah 14, just a few chapters after this passage in the prophecy, speaks about God himself coming from the Mount of Olives on the day of the Lord. And by enacting this passage from Zechariah 9 that talks about the coming of the king of Israel, Jesus is making a statement 
a very deliberate statement, one that is sure to fire up the religious leaders. But at the same time, the passage that he's chosen emphasizes not his strength or his might, but his humility, a choice that must be confusing at the very least for his disciples and the crowd that's following him. Why humble? Why a donkey? But they're willing to overlook that fact and to accept that Jesus nonetheless is enacting their, this prophecy and is their long-awaited Messiah, come to throw off Roman oppression. And so they lay down their coats in his path, just like the ancient Israelites had done long ago for King Jehu. And they wave palm branches, just like the Israelites had done 200 years before, when the war hero Judas Maccabeus rode into Jerusalem after conquering the Greeks. And they shout jubilantly, Hosanna to the son of David. It's a traditional festival song, but it's also a proclamation in its own right. They're applying the messianic term son of David to Jesus. This is the one we've been waiting for, they're saying. This is the son of David, come as a king to conquer. Like Judas Maccabeus, like King Jehu, here is our king, finally, Hosanna in the highest. The whole procession causes such a commotion that the whole city is stirred up when Jesus enters Jerusalem, saying, who is this? Who is this? The crowd of pilgrims answer that question. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. True enough, true enough in its own right. But Matthew, the writer of this gospel, is also answering the question for his readers in a different way. And here's where we get back to that phrase that I pointed out, unique to Matthew's gospel. The whole city was stirred up. The word stirred is originally related to our seismic. It means earthquake. Other translations in English say the city was moved. A shock ran through the city. The city was trembling, agitated, in an uproar, shaken, in turmoil. And all of these translations combined convey something that Matthew intended by using this word, that whether the people of Jerusalem knew it that day or not, something of world-rocking import was happening as Jesus rode into the city. The day of the Lord was upon them. The day of the Lord. It's a phrase that's often used in the prophets, and we're perhaps most familiar with it, if we've heard it before, referring to end times, referring to the day when God will come in might to judge the living and the dead. And that is not wrong. There will be a final day of the Lord. But the prophets of Israel also used this phrase to refer to other times, times when God shows up bringing judgment and salvation with him. And when God shows up, the mountains quake and the earth shakes and the people tremble. Think of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the mountain trembled greatly. Or Isaiah 13, behold the day of the Lord comes, therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place. Or Joel chapter 2, the day of the Lord comes and the earth quakes and the heavens tremble. Earthquakes and the coming of God were intricately linked, both in ancient times and 
when Matthew was writing. And Matthew refers to earthquakes eight times in his gospel, six times more than any other gospel writer. Matthew alone uses the word earthquake when the storm on the sea, for the storm on the sea that Jesus calms. Matthew alone has the city shake when Jesus enters it with a triumphal entry. He alone has the earth shake when Jesus is crucified. The earth shook and the rocks were split. And again, a great earthquake when the angel comes to announce the resurrection. And all of this is not just hyperbole or idle words or coincidence on Matthew's part, because this Jesus, he's saying, is not just any prophet from Nazareth. He's not even just the Messiah come to save Israel as people understood the Messiah. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the King himself who has come. It is the Lord of all creation who stilled the earthquake storm on the sea. It is the King of kings who is entering Jerusalem on a donkey. It is God Almighty who is taking upon himself the judgment of the day of the Lord on the cross and offering salvation in its place. It is the Lord of glory who will rise from the dead, bringing new life to all people. The day of the Lord has come, Matthew is saying, a day of judgment and salvation. The king has returned. And we are invited to lay down everything at his feet and to worship him. What does that look like for us as we enter this most holy of weeks? Over the past five weeks of Lent, we've been invited into a practice of fasting, of laying down those parts of ourselves and our lives that we cling to most closely, that tend to come between us and God. And now, as Jesus enters Jerusalem on his way to the cross, we're invited to fall in behind him with the crowd, to travel with him on this road, and to bring with us every part of ourselves, our material possessions, our time, our energy, our resources, our loves, our hates, our hurts, and to lay all of it down at his feet. There's a prayer attributed to St. Ignatius of Loyola that invites us into this space, and it goes like this. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. As we walk through the events of this Holy Week, may we bring our whole selves to the foot of the cross and lay all of it down at the feet of King Jesus to do with as he will. And then someday, that final day of the Lord will come and the King will return one more time and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and we will behold him in all of his splendor and glory. There's a passage near the end of the Lord of the Rings that stirs me every time I read it and fills me with hope and anticipation for this final day of the Lord. It occurs just after the moment when Gandalf places the crown on Aragorn's head, and here's what it says. 
But when Aragorn arose, all that beheld him gazed in silence, for it seemed to them that he was revealed to them now for the first time. Tall as the sea kings of old, he stood above all that were near. Ancient of days, he seemed, yet in the flower of manhood. And wisdom sat upon his brow, and strength and healing were in his hands, and a light was about him. And then Faramir cried, Behold the king. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, waving palm branches in their hands and crying out with loud voices, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Behold, your king comes, humble and riding on a donkey. Let us worship. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.